0: Success. Maybe, maybe for you, considering success is in connection to an exam. You, you sit an exam, uh, and, and if you pass, you are successful. If you get a good mark, you feel that you are very successful. Or, or maybe your success, or the success that you have in your mind, is beyond exams. Maybe for you, success is being somebody or something, having something or someone. Uh, Success for many people is is different things, but generally speaking, in in the world's eyes, uh, success is measured in money. And so Forbes, uh, the magazine, the whole entity, makes a business out of celebrating and listing the wealthy. And for some and for many, success is becoming a Forbes billionaire. Success is getting this or becoming that or having that. And as we look at this chapter 41, often this chapter is taken as a success story. And my first heading for this morning is Hollywood's success story. In some ways, you could think this chapter, 41, is just out of a a script for a screenplay for Hollywood. The earlier chapters have twists and turns, and and then this chapter comes into great riches. It, It is the ultimate rags to riches, And so often this this passage is preached like that. It's it's told in this traditional way, it's this rags to riches, and it's it's moralized into a Christian fairy tale of hope. And I'm sure many of you have heard this passage uh, preached in that way, and and spoken on in that way. Just keep on doing what is right, and God will make everything better for you. That's what people say that the story of Joseph is like. The, the, way of, the way to have a successful life is to follow Joseph's example. Is to walk in, in his footsteps. Now, that, that, that may sound like a great idea, but can I remind you that Manuel left us with Joseph in prison last week. I don't know many of you would see that as being successful. But that's where he was. And he was in prison, and he has successfully interpreted the dream of the baker and the cupbearer. And after giving the cupbearer the good news, Joseph thinks, I have a plan. He wants to get out. He's not enjoying his stay in prison. He wants to be free. And so he says to the cupbearer, only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and so get me out of this house, or so get me out of prison and I can imagine that, as he said that, as he saw the cupbearer go off as he shakes the cupbearer 's hand if that 's what Egyptians did in those days, as he wishes him well he 's thinking it 's not going to be long now it 's not going to be long, and the cupbearer is going to tell. The Pharaoh of, of my abilities and, and tell the Pharaoh what's happened, and I am going to be released. And chapter 41 starts with After two whole years, he thought he's getting out. He had a plan to get out, he had a, a plan devised in his mind, but he spends another two years in prison. I don't know if you've been in a situation where you've been hoping for something and then your hopes are being dashed, expecting to get something. Maybe for some of you, it's Cyprus. You were hoping to leave two years ago and, and, and the ticket just hasn't turned up. The opportunity hasn't come. The Canadian embassy hasn't said yes and you are waiting and waiting. And it's hard work waiting when you, when you want to, to get on with it. But... It starts here by saying, after two whole years, and then it talks about Pharaoh. And Pharaoh suddenly brought into the story, brought into the narrative. And and you couldn't get a more different contrast between Joseph and Pharaoh. Joseph is in prison. Joseph is a foreigner. Joseph's been sold as a slave. He 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 is an absolute nobody. And the passage brings in Pharaoh and the fact that Pharaoh had a dream. Now, Pharaoh we could say it is comparable to what we'd say probably the president of the USA. Or if we're speaking to Putin, the president of Russia. Or if we're speaking to China, the president of China. Basically, the most powerful person of the known world then was the pharaoh. He was, he was there, but he was more than that. I don't think any of the presidents of the world claimed to be God's. But in those days the Pharaoh was, was looked upon as a god, a chosen leader to maintain the order and provide a link between the Egyptian people and, and their gods. So this rich, powerful, God type of person, revered, he had a perplexing dream. But he had two, not just one, he had two dreams. And I just want you to think about this two dreams. Who else had two dreams? If you go back a couple chapters, Joseph had two dreams. So just just bear that in your minds because I think it's important and it helps us as we we go through with this. So he has these uh, two dreams. And as the passage tells us, he's troubled in his spirit. And he wants to know the meaning of these dreams. He, He feels that there is a meaning to them. Now I find it quite strange that a pharaoh who is meant to be a god doesn't know the meaning of the dream. Not a very smart god, if you ask me, but you're not. And they weren't. He had this problem, and so what he did was he went to his magicians, he went to his wise men. He wanted to find out what the dream meant and all the wisdom of Egypt, and it is all there, and the all is is, is emphatic, and so they were all brought and they all came and they all could not answer the question. They couldn't do anything about it. And and, and the pharaoh was upset. And it's never a good place to be around an upset leader who has ultimate power. That's quite frightening. And I think the cupbearer suddenly got frightened. He'd been in difficult situations before with this pharaoh. And it brought back to his memory what he should have remembered two years ago. It brought back to his memory Joseph and how Joseph had interpreted his and the baker's dream over two years ago. And so the cupbearer shares this experience with Pharaoh, and Joseph is summoned. he's washed, he's shaved, he's given clothes, and he comes to meet Pharaoh. And, and, and the meeting's short. It doesn't go on very long, it's very simple, it's very straightforward. You can read it in the passage, we read it quite quickly, it's not a long thing, but he's in prison. He has this meeting, and, and, and in short, Joseph explains the, the reason and the meaning of the dream, and he says there's going to be seven years of plenty, uh, and seven years of famine, and Joseph gives his advice for the situation, and then he gets a job, and he doesn't get any old job, and, and we need to see it like this, a stark contrast, he got out of bed that morning, if he had a bed in the prison. He got out of whatever it was he laid on. It's referred to as the pit. And then that evening, he was going to bed in the palace. Uh, I can imagine linen Egyptian sheets there for him. And and here it is. This person in the morning is unjustly incarcerated by his boss, who he'd been sold to, by slave traders who had bought him from his own brothers. You can't really get much lower than that. And that's where he was. And then in the evening, as he's lying on his bed scratching his head, he's become the second most important person in the kingdom. Now, if that's not a rise in status, I don't know what is, yeah? You may have followed some politicians, and over a couple of years, they've managed to to come from relative obscurity to being uh, a politician, a, a minister in parliament, a prime minister, a president. But this is just not even overnight, it's during the day. Verse 39: Pharaoh says, I will set you over my house. Pharaoh's giving him the responsibility to look after his house, and that's not enough. He, he thinks about it a bit more, and in verse 41 he says, I've set you over all the land. And he doesn't just say these things. He, he does things to to emphasize this. He gives him the, the, the signet ring. So he takes off his ring and gives it to Joseph. And that means that any time that Joseph uses that ring with the, with a seal, so a little bit of wax is melted, and he puts it on there, is as though the king has said it. That, that That's where... Joseph is the standard that he's at. He, he's given some, some new clothes to wear, uh, a linen cloak, finely wrought. People would have seen that he was special. He was uh, given a, a gold necklace showing that he had a badge of, of rank, showing who he was. And then the ultimate. He's given a new set of wheels. He didn't even have an old set of wheels. He didn't get around in prison. He was just sat there. And now he's given the second chariot. Pharaoh keeps the first one for himself. And, and so it, it, it's sort of he has everything. From, from having absolutely nothing, he is the second most powerful person in the known world. He has every luxury and comfort that he wants. He has masses and masses and masses of authority. And he's given a new name, which just features here in this chapter, not anywhere else. He's given a wife, and a wife of a very important uh, family. And that's it. What a rise. What a a, a change. What what a turnaround. And so you've probably been told, be like Joseph, and your circumstances will turn around. Maybe you've been in a difficult situation, a spot of bother, and and you've encouraged yourself and said, I want to be like Joseph. I'm going to become exceedingly blessed. And, and, And the story is often told like this. There was a temptation for Joseph when he was in the prison in the dark times to think that he'd been forgotten. But if you don't give up on God, if you hold on long enough, we will get... A happily ever after. And that's what's so often been sold from this passage of Scripture. A happily ever after. You do this, and God has to do that. If we are morally upright, if we're like Joseph and we don't sin sexually, and we keep ourselves pure... God will bless us. God will give us a happily ever after. God will give us our hearts desire. If we work hard, he worked hard. He was diligent. And if we work hard and if we're diligent, God will have to work it out for us. And God will give us this great rise in our standards, in our situation. If we honor God, then all manner of wonderful things will happen. And we're taught this passage that, that, that if we do these things, God will have to bless us. And I'm sure you've heard that. I've heard that. And I've heard it in different degrees. And we're taught Joseph morally. And we're told, be like him, get what he has. Be like him and get what he has. And basically, that's a transactional situation. It's a transactional relationship with God. And it's not the truth of the Bible. And it's not the big message of this passage. Now, this passage does show us the marks of true success. And so I want to leave that Hollywood-style story behind. And secondly, I want us to go and look at what the marks of true success are. And and, uh, there are three marks set out in this passage. And, And the marks of true success come in these three ways. There's more, but these ones are here. And that's the first one, is seeing that God is in control of everything. If you want true success, uh, as, as the Bible gives, as God gives, as God's Word shows us, we need to see that God is in control of everything. A mark of true success is seeing that God is in control of everything. Why was Joseph sold by his brothers? Go back two weeks. Why was he sold to his brothers? Well, they hated him, didn't they? But was that the real reason? Why did Potiphar buy Joseph as a slave? The passage doesn't tell us why he did, but we we may think that Potiphar possibly had a need. He needed someone in his household. He possibly saw Joseph as a strong, good-looking man and thought he would be good. Maybe he got a bargain. Maybe nobody wanted a Hebrew in their house. He thought, well, he'll do. But what was the real reason? And why did Joseph, in a very short space of time, have the run of Potiphar's house? We read there in those chapters that he was successful. He was given great privilege And and why did that happen? Was that because he was a loyal, hard worker? Well, he was that. But what was the real reason? What was the real reason behind it? And and why did Potiphar's wife try to seduce Joseph? Yes, he was well-built and handsome. The passage tells us that. But what was the real reason? What was the real reason behind this? And and why did Potiphar send Joseph to prison? Yes, his wife had lied about Joseph and falsely accused him, and Potiphar was really upset, but what was the real reason? What was really going on here? And and why did the cupbearer immediately forget about Joseph? Joseph? Yes, he had a lot on his mind. Yes, he was excited to get his job back. Yes, he must have been thinking that was close. I could have been like uh, the baker. But what was the real reason? And why did Pharaoh have a dream? Now He might have had a lot on his mind. He might have even eaten cheese before he went to bed, apparently, in the U.K., possibly other parts of the world, I don't know, but it's told that if you eat a lot of cheese before you go to bed, you have dreams. If you can afford cheese, you can try it. He was a king, he could. But was that the real reason? Was the dream to warn Pharaoh? Or was the dream to get Joseph out of prison? Or was it to get him, to reward him for his faithfulness, to or to save a nation, or enable God to keep his promise. You see, the real reason of all those situations is the fact that God is ultimately, totally, and utterly in control of this whole story and every story that ever has been told. Now, although each person in the story that is that they're involved has sole responsibility for their own actions... The butler had responsibility for his actions. Potiphar had responsibility for his actions. Joseph had responsibility for his actions. Potiphar's wife had responsibility for her actions. Ultimately, the plan is God's. And nothing is out of control. And true success is only found when we're willing to submit ourselves to that truth. True success is only found in in our lives when we're willing to see and take that step back and see that God is in control of everything. And it's easy for us to say that God is in control of everything when we're holding the baby and looking on it and giving thanks. But flashback a few months when that baby was in intensive care and in an incubator and having oxygen, it all becomes a different thing then. But that moment back then was just as much God's will as this moment of thanksgiving now. God is in everything. And God's plan and purpose is across the whole thing. And in your own situation whether you are going through good times now or bad, whether you are in the valley, as it were, and all is dark and dismal, or whether you are on the mountaintop dancing with excitement and joy, whether your life is full of light and joy or darkness and pain, we have to remember that God is in total control. He is in absolute, total control control, and his plan is bigger than your failures. It's bigger than your sin. It's bigger than the authorities around. It's bigger than the nations. God is in absolute, total, and utter control. And if you want to be successful in this life, if you want to be successful as as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, the mark of true success starts in seeing that God is in control of everything. And when you see and act like God is in control of everything, you can do what Joseph did next in his success story and what we must do in our success story, and that is put God First in everything. A, a true mark of success, of being successful, is putting God first in everything. Now the verses that are mentioned on the screen, we're going to come to them in a minute. But what I want to remind you is as this story rolls out, we know the end of it, don't we? We know what's happening. When when Manuel closed the Bible last week and, and gave the benediction and you'd left Joseph in prison, you knew he's not going to stay there. You knew that, didn't you? You knew he was going to get out. You knew he was going to become second in the whole kingdom. You knew that story, but Joseph didn't. Joseph hadn't got a clue of what was going to happen next. Joseph was just like you looking forward into this next week. You might have some plans and you might have some ideas and you might have some, some desires, but you do not know what is going to happen next week. And, and, and he didn't know what was going to happen. But what he, what he did know is that his actions could affect his future. And, and he's seen what Pharaoh can do. The cupbearer got his job back. The baker lost his head. And he's called and he's summoned to see the Pharaoh. And he knows that his actions can have consequences. And Pharaoh, in some ways, is the person who could release him from prison or keep him there forever, or, if he wanted, chop his head off if he didn't like him. And what does he do in this situation? Well, he puts God first. And I think this is absolutely remarkable. It's absolutely breathtaking, but it's totally revolutionary. And it's how we should be. You see, the last time Joseph had significantly put God first, what happened to him? I want you to go back in your minds. There's Potiphar's wife trying to seduce him. And what does he do? He puts God first. He says, no, I'm not going to go that way. I'm not going to sin against God. I am not going that way. I'm putting God first. What did it end up? It ended up him being in prison for years. Now, Pharaoh, as I said earlier, was thought of as a god. Little G, not big G. Not the God, the true God. But he was thought of as a God. And in his own mind, he was a God. And, and, and Joseph looks him in the eye and says, God will give the answer. Yes, Joseph wanted to get out of prison. And, and, and yes, Joseph possibly, if he thought about it, could have took credit for the whole thing and, and, and got himself out of prison. But he doesn't. He gives God the credit. He gives God the glory. He puts God first in everything. Verse 16, Joseph answered Pharaoh and said, it's not in me. Imagine Pharaoh reaching for his sword. It's not in me. I've got you stupid Hebrew here to tell me it's not in me, but it doesn't stop there. He goes on and said, God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Joseph's taking a step back. Pushing God forward. He's not pushing God forward. God is taking center stage as God should have. Verse 25. and Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. He's telling it straight. Here he is, the nobody from prison, telling the, the most powerful man in the world that God has revealed it to him. And this man thinks he's a god. Verse 28, it is as I told Pharaoh, God, sorry, uh, verse, I'm getting mixed up here with the verses. We've done, do we do 25? There's 25, there's 28, and they're all saying the same thing. In 32, he comes and he says, the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Here is Joseph, and he's a nobody, and he's in front of the most powerful person in the world. And the only thing that Joseph is concerned about is being faithful to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And it works out in this situation that he's faithfully saying these things. And we say here from the comfort of our seats, but it's okay, he gets the big job. He didn't know that at that time. He didn't know that was how it was going to work out. He didn't know what the end was going to be. He was probably sat there with butterflies in his stomach thinking, what is going to happen next? How is Pharaoh going to take the fact that the God has told him this? How is Pharaoh going to take the fact that I am putting God first? And what a testimony Joseph has, because Joseph's been so emphatic about God That Pharaoh comes to understand it. Verse 39. And then Pharaoh says to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. I'm not saying for a moment that Pharaoh was converted and became a Christian. But he saw something. He learned something. He came to something, and he came to it through the faithfulness of Joseph. And Joseph said it and said it and said it, and the king, the the pharaoh, realized that God has shown this to him. Now, he doesn't say this after the seven years of plenty and the seven years of nothing. He realizes this has gone on beforehand. God must have worked in his his heart, and, and Joseph was put there Because, sorry, Joseph put God first because he was successful. Not to gain what the world thinks of as success. Now, I just want to unpack that a little bit, yes? Joseph put God first because he was successful. Putting God first didn't make him successful in the world's eyes. He was successful because he put God first. And and that's what we need to learn from this. Joseph didn't know how things were going to turn out. We do. He He didn't know that. He was not thinking, how can I get God to bless me? How can I get something out of this? He simply did what he always did, and he put God first. And when he was in that prison, languishing in that prison, he got a position of responsibility there, didn't he? Why did he get that position of responsibility? Because he put God first. And when he was in Potiphar's household, and he was given a position of responsibility, how did he get that? Because he put God first. But putting God first didn't mean that everything was going to work out and there's a transaction going on, because each time he put God first, each time he did what God was asking him to do, sometimes it made things get much, much worse for him. And, and, and Joseph wasn't worried about the outcome. Joseph was concerned about putting God first. And so often we are scheming and thinking how we can get the best out of a situation, how how we can get the most out of a situation. And true success is simply asking God, How can I put you first? How can I put you first in this situation? but so often what tragically happens in our lives is we are putting ourselves first. And and rather than saying, God, where do you want me to be, you tell God to take you to Canada. You tell God to give you a master's. You tell God that you need this amount of money. And what we should be doing is taking a step back like Joseph was and saying, how can I put you first in this situation? And There's a real temptation and a challenge for you guys, isn't there? Because money is tight, and money is difficult, and it's difficult to earn money on the island. And you can think, well, I can sort this out myself by doing this or doing that. And, and you might think that it doesn't really matter too much, a Yahoo scam. It's not really hurting anybody too much. And and I do need my school fees. And God will, it won't help me if I, it won't won't matter too much if if I just let this man have something of me and in return I can get what I want. Because you're putting yourself first and not God first. And and, and success isn't in the result at the end that the world sees. Success is in putting God first. And and, and they come in sequence, don't they? We we can only really put God first if we're really seeing that God is in control of everything. And when we put God first in everything, we can take the third step that we see here. And that's trusting God in everything. Trusting God in everything. People could say that Joseph's success was down to luck. You can imagine the, 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 the Hollywood presentation of this uh, and it would all be about the circumstance and the coincidence, uh, being in the right place at the right time, uh, saying the right things in the right way and getting the decree of, of Pharaoh. But this is not what Joseph thought, this chapter goes on to tell us that Joseph is blessed with children and we see clearly that the the difficulties that he's been through uh, and the blessings that he have didn't spoil him. N- naming children in those days is it was very important uh, and naming children in some of your cultures is really important and here it is in verse. Fifty-one, Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. You see it. Joseph's success is there in the words, God has. God has. There's hardships There's difficulties, there's challenges, there's the delight of this firstborn son. And and Joseph is saying, God has. God has made me. God has taken me through this hardship. God has taken me out of my father's house. God has put me as a Hebrew in this foreign land of Egypt. God has brought me to this situation. God has blessed me with this firstborn. It's all what God has done. And then again with his second son. Verse 52, the name of his second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. God has. God has in the land of affliction and hardship. God has. And friends, True success is seeing that God has in our lives. And it's seeing that God has in our lives, not just in those things, God has got me a degree, but God has also put you through that difficulty. It's part of his plan. It's part of his purpose. And so, do you see your lives in the light of God has? Are you seeing your life in the light of I am? God has or I am? True success only is where God has. It's not where I am. Because there is only one I am. And that is God the Lord. And are you willing to trust God in all areas of your life? Joseph was. He he was trusting him in the prison. He was trusting him when he was tempted by Potiphar's wife. He was trusting him in the journey to Egypt. And you could look back on all that and say, God has. Yes, there were afflictions. Yes, there were hardships. Yes, there were difficulties. But God has. And in that, in God's sovereignty, in God's kindness, he's given him two children. Pharaoh had two dreams, didn't he? And Joseph said to Pharaoh in verse 32, the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams meant that this is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. And I can't help but think, when Joseph said that, he must have been thinking about his two dreams. His two dreams that he'd had many, many, many years ago. And and he could think, well, if Pharaoh's doubling means that it's fixed by God and it will shortly come about, what has happened? And, And he may think, actually, the answer is here in my two sons. But the names that he's given them imply that they were not the fulfillment of the dreams. Joseph knows that there's more to come. There is more to come. And true success is not just saying God has, but God will keep his promises and trust him in everything. And as we go on, as Manuel takes the next few chapters and takes you on with this, you'll see that come through. And and so we have here underlined for us that the marks of true success are seeing that God is in control of everything, is putting God first in everything, is trusting God in everything. But the biggest story here is not about Joseph. The biggest story here is not about Joseph's success. The biggest story here is not about us getting true success. The biggest story here is God's success story. And this is what we should be screaming out on. And this is what we should be focusing on. We take this passage and we rob God of his glory. We take this passage and think, this is about me getting my happily ever after. And the reality is, this passage is about God saying, look at who I am. Look at Yahweh, the great King of kings and the Lord of lords, who is in control of everything. God's great success story comes out in the last couple of verses. There is immediate success. There's immediate success in that what God said through that dream happened. So when the famine spread over the land, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. And moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. God's word had come true. God's plan had worked. God had given The plan that God gave to Joseph was successful. And the people of Egypt were being fed. And the people around the world were being fed. Because this famine of seven years was over everything. And so there's an immediate success. But it points to an eternal success. An ongoing success. And we read about that in that Psalm 105. And in that Psalm 105, it tells us that God brought this famine about. And it tells us that God made a provision. And that was Joseph to go ahead of the people. And God was looking after his people. And God used this chain of events. God used the good, the bad, and the ugly. God used his jealous brothers with murderous intent. God used the, the lies of Potiphar's wife. God used the dreams of Pharaoh. God used everything in his perfect sovereign plan, to save his own people. God's people were his people. And he made a promise to Abraham. And and, and he made a promise in Abraham to have a land, to be a great nation. And he made a promise in Genesis 12 and verse 3. And he says at the end of it, In you all the families of the earth are to be blessed. Joseph's story is not about him. It was so that through him, Abraham, the promise that's given to Abraham, that all the families of the earth could be blessed, were blessed. You see, Joseph's story doesn't just mean that we have hope in bad times, it's much more than that. Joseph was used to preserve. The line of David. So that Jesus could come into the world and save his people from their sins. And that's a big message. God is in absolute control. And God's plan is so much bigger than ours. And yes, he uses these events and he uses them miraculously and remarkably. And yes, it is special. But it's not as special as the big thing. The big thing is the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world to save his people from their sins. And so the big question I want to ask you now is, are you part of God's eternal success story? Is that where you are? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior? Because those thousand years ago, he had a plan. And he brought his plan about. And in his plan, he put Joseph through hardship and joys and difficulties. But his plan has come to be. And right now, you may be in a difficult situation and you may have a difficult problem in front of you and we don't know what tomorrow will hold. But friend, if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, it doesn't matter what tomorrow holds because your eternity is secure. Your eternity is held. And so that allows us to have that true success story by seeing that God is in control, by putting God first in everything, and by trusting God in everything. And we can do that because God and His sovereignty enabled Joseph to do that, which meant that Jesus came so that our sins could be forgiven. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us for the times when we think we are the plan or that our plan would be better than yours. Help us to understand something from this portion of your word that Joseph had. And and may we, O Lord God, see and know that you're in control of everything. And may that allow us and enable us to put you first in everything. And may we trust you, Almighty God, in everything. We thank you that you enabled Joseph to do that. And we thank you for the immediate success and the fact that he was taken care of and the fact that the people didn't starve because the plan was put in place. But more than that, Almighty God, we thank you that there is a Jesus. There is a God's Son who came to this world, who died on the cross and bore the punishment of the sins of his people. We thank you that there is a way of salvation. Oh, Lord God, may each and every one of us share in that success story and know you as our Heavenly Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. And for those that don't know that, may you work in their hearts and their lives right now and may they come to a saving knowledge of you as they sat here. And for those of us that do know you, Heavenly Father, help us to be like Joseph. Not because we want to get stuff from you, but may we be like Joseph because we've come to the point that we see that you're in control of everything and that we want to put you first in everything and that we want to trust you in everything. Help us in these things, and as we do them, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name we've prayed.